morning, church. Yes, it is. Uh, goes back in time. It's been a long time since I stood up here. And uh, Debbie and I are thankful to be back in, in Vero Beach. I, uh, I had my physical, my annual physical checkup this past week. And many of you have gone through one of those. And so you're familiar with what's involved in that. They check you, you know, they check you over. They check your height, your weight, let you know you're within the standards that should be, blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this time the physical is a little bit more exhaustive because it's the first time I've had it here uh, where I was. And so they were asking a lot more questions. One of the more interesting questions was, uh, who do you live with? I said, well, I live with my wife. Do you feel safe where you live? <laughs> I'm thinking, what do they know that I don't know? I said, yes, I feel very safe. But the lady explained that, that, that a lot of people live in abusive relationships. And so they asked this particular question. But as I was sitting there and we were going through a lot of this stuff, I, I started thinking about a passage in uh, Timothy where Paul writes to this young man. He says, physical training is beneficial, but godliness, devotion, living a life devoted to God, is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And so I was sitting there thinking, what about an annual spiritual checkup? Why not... Take the Word of God on a yearly basis and look at it and say, okay, how am I doing? How am I doing as an individual? How are we doing as a church? So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 14. This is a passage I believe that every church should look at at least once a year. It's a passage also that every believer ought to look at once a year and compare or contrast their life with what God is saying here. Because as I said earlier in my prayer at, in the, uh, before the Bible class, and I do this every time now I open the Word of God. I pray something along these, line, these lines. God, open my eyes to see the things you want me to see. Open my ears to hear the things you want me to hear. Open my mind to learn the things you want me to learn. And then open my heart to live it. Folks, it does absolutely no good to know the Word of God if you're not willing to live it. And we don't change in the mind. We change in the heart. And one of the things I've learned in my life, I know a lot of stuff up here that I don't live down here. How about you? See, many of us have a 15-inch gap in our faith. We have a logical, rational faith. But it doesn't do us any good if we're not, we don't get it down here in the heart. And Romans 14 is one of those passages that we all ought to look at. Now, Romans is an interesting book, 16 chapters, first 11 chapters. Paul spends saying, this is what Jesus has done for you. And you're familiar with Romans and... He goes into great detail about all the things that Jesus did for us as Savior and Lord. And then beginning in chapter 12, he says, okay, this is what you're to do for Jesus. And chapter 14 is included in that. So chapter 14, verse 1, Paul writes this, Accept those whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. That's, that verse is loaded. The first word is the word accept. And the word accept is basically to take to oneself. It's the idea of to openly welcome, to fellowship, to receive with kindness. Now, I want you to notice that I am to receive with kindness or fellowship those whose faith is weak. Now, the root of the word faith is the idea of being won over. Jesus wins me over or he convinces me. And so, this idea of faith that is weak is... A person whose confidence in something or in Jesus or in the teachings of Jesus or in the Word of God is uncertain. 
It can be imperfect, unsettled, unsure, or doubt. In other words, they're just not yet convinced. Then he says this, without passing what? Judgment. Now, the word judge is very interesting. It's the idea of separating and selecting something. I, I hold in my hand a gala apple. Now, the other day I went to the store. These are the kind of apples that my wife and I like to eat. So when I went into the store, I didn't just go up to the first tray of apples. I walked by the Red Delicious and the Golden Delicious and the Granny Smith and the, the Brayburns and all the other. And I went over to the, to, the, to the Gala apples. And I also didn't take the first four in the bin. What did I do, church? I picked them up and inspected them. And I looked to see if there was a bruise or there was a gouge or something, all right? So I picked four apples that... I wanted to pick. The idea of separating and selecting. Now, we're to do that with apples, but we're not to do that with one another. Except one another whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable, on disputable matters. Now, let's talk about the concept of disputable matters. It's two words you put together. Different thinking or different reasoning. It's people who don't necessarily think or reason the exact same way that you do. Now, different translations have different things here. New King James says, don't judge them over doubtful things. New American Standard says, over opinions. Uh, CEV, different beliefs that are different from yours. And the New Living Translation says, what they think or is right or wrong. So I'm going to accept those whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, Paul is going to address two disputable matters that existed in the church at that particular time. They were eating and special days. And that makes sense. The church was in transition. It was a combination of people who were raised under the law of Moses and people coming out of the world. Now, if you know anything about the people who lived by the law of Moses, the children of Abraham, they had very strict dietary laws, right? They couldn't eat pork chops, catfish, shrimp, oysters, or crawfish, God forbid. What was their life like? But then you have these Gentiles coming into the church who basically didn't have any rules at all. They could eat it all. And you put those two, people, those two people's, groups of people together in the church and you're going to have, say it, conflict. So Paul's going to address that. Not just the eating, but also the special days. And so he says this in verse 2. One person's faith allows them. Now, the phrase here, faith allows, is very simply their confidence in, a, in the scriptures or in Christ. And it's the idea of living out their faith. So one person's faith allows him to eat whatever he wants. And the other person's faith says, no, no, I can only eat certain things. So what do you do? What do you do? Verse 3. Now, if you don't leave here with anything today, please leave here with this. He says, the person who does. Now, I'm going to ask everybody to hold their left hand up. Hold your left hand up. All right. This is your due. You're, this is the person who does. I love the way we hold up our hands in this fellowship. We do like this. All right. All right. The person who does. Now, I want you to notice something. He says, the person who does must not look down on the person who does not. 
And the phrase, uh, look down, is to despise intently, reject, scorn, ridicule, right up in the church bulletin. So the do is not to look down. Now hold up your right hand. Your right hand is the do not. So the do is not to look down on the do not, and the do not is not to condemn the person who does. And it's to have an unfavorable opinion. Now you put your hands down, all right. I'll do it for you. The do is not to look down. The does not is not to condemn. So who does he address in this verse? Who does he address? Everybody, including, everybody say me. Me. Okay? And then he says this. If I can get this to work. One person considers. Now, the word consider here is very interesting. It's the idea of separating and selecting. The person decides what is right for himself or herself. One person considers one day more sacred than the other, and the other person considers every day alike. Each one should be what? Fully convinced. The phrase here, fully convinced, is the idea of have complete confidence. And then he throws this in there for further reasoning. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And then he says this, for none of us, who does none of us apply to? Everybody say me, don't say the other guy, say me. It applies to me. For none of us lives to himself alone or dies to himself alone, for we all belong to the Lord. Right? So I am to accept others whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters and they are to accept me. Now, this is very important, folks. We all make errors in our theology. Nobody has a faith that is 100% strong. Everybody has some area that they're a little bit weak in. Now, you may be sitting there saying, nope, I know it all. I got some questions I bet I could throw a kink into your faith. But listen to what this writer says. We all make errors in our theology, you and me both. So my recommendation is, if you're going to err, err on the side of love. Here's why. Because God is not doctrine. God is not a denomination. God is not war. God is not love. law. God is not hate. God is not hell. God is love. So I'm going to accept people who are weak in their faith and not pass judgment on them on disputable matters, and they're not supposed to do the same with me. Now, that always raises an interesting question. What are the disputable matters today? That was not a question to answer. That was supposed to be rhetorical, George. <laughs> Would it surprise you? Would it surprise you if I were to say to you that we might have a dispute over what we consider to be disputable matters? Because you might say the Bible clearly says this, and I might say, I don't see it that way. And then I might say to you, the Bible clearly says this, and you go, well, you know, I'm not sure about that. You need to show me a little bit more. But I am going to mention two. And I'm going to mention them because I think these are two things that the church today has got to openly discuss and look at in what the Word of God says. And that is worship and women. Now, before you swallow your tongue, let me share a few things with you. Somebody who determined 
and when that what is done on a Sunday morning identifies the church. Somebody somewhere in our history said that these five things you do on a Sunday morning are the identifying characteristics of the church. I don't believe that. Especially when you read scriptures that talk about what I do through my life is a worship to God. Now, if you disagree with me on there, that's good. But let's sit down and talk about it. And let's look at all the scriptures. I want to give you a little exercise to do. I want you to go, go home this afternoon or sometime this week and get your piece of paper and write out, I want you to make a chart. And on that chart, I want you to go do acts of worship of the church in the book of Acts because we say the book of Acts is the history of the early church, right? And then what I want you to do is to make, to put these headings up there. Passage, who, when, where, and what. And go through the scriptures and find out who did what, when, and where. And just make a chart. And every time some people get together, find out where they got together, when they got together, what did they do when they got together. And you're going to have some very interesting surprises. Now, for example, I'll give you a couple of them. Chapter 1, uh, the disciples return after Jesus ascended to heaven. Uh, it was the 120 that gathered together in the upper room. We don't know exactly when. And what did they do? They were praying and casting lots. Can you imagine us casting lots to determine elders? They cast lots to determine who the replacement of Judas was. But you go on. In chapter 2, verse 41, uh, chapter 2, you have the day of Pentecost. Uh, the 120, they're in one place. What are they doing? They're speaking in tongues, preaching and baptizing, but you could just go on. But go through the entire book of Acts and look at what the early church did when they got together. Now, let's talk about women. The New Testament was not written to us. Okay? Paul didn't write to the church in Vero Beach. He wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul didn't write to Clay Humphreys. He wrote to Timothy. The Bible was not written to me, but it was written for me. And this idea that everything we see in the Bible we're supposed to do today, folks, just doesn't fit because the same circumstances might not be going on. So if you're going to say that everything in Corinth applies to us, what do you do with the passages that say the women were prophesying and praying in the assembly? And if you say the women are supposed to be silent in 1 Timothy, you better start because the very same passage says men are supposed to live up holy hands in prayer. Why do we not do that? And women aren't supposed to wear gold and pearls, and I'm not going to cast any aspersions on that one. Why is one section of chapter 2 biblical and the other one is cultural? Folks, we are inconsistent in our application of the Word of God. And not everything that Paul addresses in Corinth and, and with Timothy applies to the church in Vero Beach to me or to you. And we've got to be open to discussing that. So let's sit down and look at these things together. Because it's really not so much what are the disputable matters as it is how I respond to the disputable matters. So what I'm going to do is going to give you 10 guidelines out of Paul's writing to the church in, in uh, Rome that I believe applies to us today with regard to disputable matters. My attitude. I can't do anything about your attitude. I am responsible for who? Who are you responsible for? Everybody say me, right? 
So what is to be my attitude and actions toward disputable matters? All right, first of all, we've already seen this in verse 1 of chapter 14. I am to accept those who, excuse me, I am to accept those who believe and do different from me, for God is acceptable. God has already openly welcomed them. God is already fellowshipping. You mean to tell me that you can go to heaven and not have everything perfect? Amen. That's called grace. I had a guy ask me one time. He said, do you have the right answers to all the questions? He said, I said, I don't even know what all the questions are. Folks, I don't have to be right about everything. I just have to be right about one thing and one thing only because when I stand before God on the day of judgment, he's going to ask me one question. Was my son your Savior and Lord? Everything else is negotiable. So I'm to accept those who believe and do different than me very simply because God has. Second of all, I am not to look down on or condemn them, period. Doesn't mean if I'm a doer or a do-notter. It doesn't matter if I believe I can or I can't. I am not to look down on, I'm not to condemn other people who believe some things different than me. Number th uh, third one, I'm to remember this. Now, this is very important. I'm going to give an account of myself to God for how I treat others. Anybody here raised more than one kid? Raise your hand. Anybody? Glad I know you did. Okay. All right. Anybody here raised more than one kid? You ever have your kids get in a fight? And one of them says, well, he hit me first. Do you buy that? Well, why do we buy that as adults? Well, I acted this way because they acted that way. That's immaturity. That's childlessness. Uh, excuse me, that's being childless. Uh, childlike, excuse me. Folks, I'm going to answer to God for how I treat other people. Next, I am not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of others. Now, very important. The word stumbling block here is exactly what it means. Something that causes a pers person to fall away from Christ. It's not something another person doesn't like. Folks, for too long we have allowed people who say, well, I don't like that, to control what the church does. It's the idea of leaving, oh, excuse me, it's the idea of losing your faith. And the word obstacle here is the idea of the bait on the trap. I'm not to do that. Also, the kingdom, I'm going to remember that the kingdom of God is a matter of what? Say this with me. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness, very simply, is conforming my life to God's standards. Conforming my, God, my life to God's standards. Peace is harmony. It's like that, what they put on a kindergartner's uh, report card. He plays well with others. That's what peace is. You play well with others. You get along with people. Don't be a bully. You know, fortunately, and I'm thankful that the culture we live in today is finally addressing bullies. But folks, we've got to address the bullies in the church. Every church I've been in has at least one bully. And it's time to say no. Because it's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy. 
And see what happens. Bullies don't allow you to enjoy your relationship with Christ because you're so afraid you're going to make a mistake and they're going to jump down your throat. I want to tell you a true story. This is not a preacher story. And I said that one time in a sermon. A boy got upset with me. But I, I baptized a guy in Bloomington. And a guy came up to me and said, you didn't baptize him correctly. And I thought, well, he went completely under. And I pulled him up. What else is there? He said, you didn't say the right thing. I said, what do you mean? He said, you have to say it's for the forgiveness of sin. Okay. Well, I, one thing I've learned, folks, is you answer a biblical question with a biblical answer, even if the question is not biblical, all right? So what I did, I went back to the book of Acts, and I looked at every baptism in the book of Acts to see what it said. You know what I found? There's no record of what was said. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5. You go through the whole book of Acts, and every baptism... Nothing, there's no record of what was said when the person was baptized. And so I wrote this person back, and I just listed all the scriptures, and I said, there's no record here. And I said, besides, if this person's baptism is valid because of me saying the right word, it's no longer based on their faith in God who raised Jesus from the dead. It's based on me saying the right thing. But this guy was robbing people of their joy because here's a guy baptized into Jesus Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life, and the church ought to be what? Celebrating. Here's another, here's some more. Ready? Chapter 4, verse 19. I'm to make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I am. I am to do everything I can that leads to peace, harmony, and mutual building up of the faith of others. Next, I am not to destroy the work of God for the sake of my opinions. Now, the next one is very interesting because it really goes along with the previous one. Some of my beliefs I'm to keep between myself and God. I just am. Now, you say, well, how can you do that? It's right there in verse 22. Read it. There are some things, just keep it between you and God. You don't need to what? You don't need to push it. Next, I'm not to live to please me. Anybody know what the most dangerous word in the church is? What's the most dangerous word in the church? I. I want. I think. I believe. I got to have. It's interesting if you go through scripture, look at how many times the disciples got in an argument over who was the greatest. Look at how many times they got in an argument over who was the greatest. And every time they did, Jesus corrected their attitude. It's not about me. It's about building up others. As Christ did. Christ did not make his life or his ministry about himself. He made it about who? everyone else now if I'm going to follow Jesus I'm not to live to please me now that doesn't fit our culture does it right I go down to Publix and they don't have gala apples I complain about it and they run back into the, the, cool, the cooler and bring out a box of gala apples I go to Home Depot they don't have what I, ha I want and, and they say oh Mr. Humphreys we'll deliver it to your front door tomorrow and then I come to church, and what do I want? Go ahead and say it. 
I want everything to be done what? My way. And the last one. I am to accept others just as Christ accepted me. All my warts, all my failures, all my weaknesses, Christ has accepted me. I turned 66 back in August. I thought when I got to be this age, I'd have my act together. I thought I had my act together. I find I'm as messed up today as I was at any other time in my life. But I know who has the answers. And it's not me. It's Jesus. I'm to accept others just as Christ accepted me. Folks, I want you to take a moment and look. Somehow, some way, we've got this thing mixed up. I had a brother one time. He said he couldn't be baptized until he quit smoking. I said, no, no, no. You get baptized and maybe Jesus will give you the strength to be able to quit smoking. Besides, it doesn't matter. You can go to heaven and still be a smoker. He said, oh, you know, there's that passage that says your, Bible, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're right, but it says nothing about smoking. It's about sexual immorality. But look at Jesus. Look at the people Jesus called. He called them where they were and led them to where he wanted them to be. He didn't tell them to get their act together first and then come follow him. He called them in all their imperfections. And he worked with them. And even just even after he died and was raised from the dead, and they ought to be celebrating, one of them says, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it. And there's some things you and I aren't going to get until we're standing there before the throne of grace and mercy. So accept others, just as Christ accepted me. Why? Because unity brings praise to God. So what would happen? What happens when this is my attitude and actions towards this beautiful matter? There's a hint of this in chapter uh, 15, verse 5, and Paul writes this. Oops, I got a happy finger there. May God... Let me back this up one more time. May God, who gives endurance and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ. So what happens when I have an attitude like this, an attitude and actions towards disputable matters? Well, what happens is God unites me with other, other Christ followers. He unites me. We become one. He said, may God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ, so that with one heart and one mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God unites me with other followers of Christ to celebrate. Folks, that's what we're here for. We're to celebrate our relationship with God. And that's the kind of spirit that attracts other people to Jesus. I found this cartoon years ago. I want you to notice. The guy with the crown is who? Thank you. All right, it's, it's an illustration. All right, the guy with the crown is, is, uh, is Jesus. And notice all, the, all these other people. Now, what are all the other people doing? What are they doing? They're drawing boxes. Now, what, is this, what happens when you draw a box like this? You box yourself in, but what else do you do? What else do you do? You box everyone else, what? Out. And there's no unity, there's no harmony. 
The reality is there's no peace because you can tell that, you know, this guy over here is telling the other guy you're in the wrong box. Well, all the time they're drawing boxes, what is Jesus doing? What's he doing? He's erasing the boxes. Folks, that's what we need to start doing. Start erasing some of the lines. Because listen to me, please. If you're not willing to accept somebody where they are, why should they be willing to listen to anything you have to say? Right? So, I am to accept those whose faith is weak without passing, excuse me, without judging them on disputable matters, and they are to accept me. Why? For God has accepted both of us. The lesson is yours. Let's stand together and sing.